Hello, folks. Don't miss the latest episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, airing on Mondays. And, of course, don't forget Fear from the Heartland with Paul J. McSorley, Drew Blood's Dark Tales, and Horror Hill with Eric Peabody. You can find them all at simplyscarypodcast.com, on YouTube, or your favorite podcasting service. Or be sure to visit the ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com website and become a patron and hear extended episodes from our vast audio archive. Slow down just a little bit and join us for a scary good time. We're waiting for you. (laughs) The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 14, 
Episode 1. We hope you'll enjoy this little batch of treats we have in store for you as we kick off this season with the second of two Halloween season tales. And we're also kicking off the season with an announcement. Stay tuned after the first story because you'll want to hear this. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of Jasper DeWitt, Brian Martinez, Dominic Eagle, and Seth Paul. Tonight we'll hear stories of Hawaiian rituals, Halloween grumps, Halloween costumes, and Halloween parties. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail, so lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. It may be in just a few days, but I'm glad I'm all set for the season. I have skeletons hanging from the porch, a few murderous clowns on the lawn, and I haven't even told you about the decorations yet. But what's especially fun about this season are the items I've been given to put up on the walls, and boy, each one has a story to tell. Take this item. It's a little rusty and a little crude, but it appears to be some kind of animal trap sent from Jasper DeWitt, and it looks freshly used. Well, you know, I guess if you like hunting, catching something to eat is a Halloween treat in and of itself, but I think you'll find this trap has a bit of a darker history attached to it. Let's hear about this one, shall we? Without further ado, I present to you They don't always feel like sweets. Statement of Ryan Mills, suspect in the cute kitty club killings. They don't always feel like sweets. Daddy told me dad for the first time when I was seven. I guess you could say he was planning ahead. Then again, I guess you could say he was protecting me too. Not that it did his old ass any damn good. You can try to keep death out of your own home and out of the homes of others a long, long time. But when the chips are down, that old gray bastard's gonna come along, waving his sickle in the air. Folks always correct me about that, say death carries a sigh. But they don't know their asses from their elbows. Death moves too quick to swing a big old scythe around every time. Whereas a sickle, you can at least hold one of them in both hands. Not that he needed two hands to get Dad, but thought he'd at least need him to get me. Went and got someone to cry to the cops. Doing it this way is cheating. Anyway, you want me to confess to killing? Let's see... Three dozen people in the past three dozen years, right? No? What do you mean you only identified ten? Oh, 
well, this is awkward. But whether it's ten or thirty-fifty-six, y'all can relax. You're going to get a big, fat bonus this year at Christmas time. You're still around to enjoy it with me dead. Just remember, boys, I'm only going to tell you one time. Don't let any of your family go out after dark on Halloween night. And don't sleep anyplace. Someone you love has died. But I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I? All right. I guess we ought to start with that there thing my papa said to me. They don't always feel like sweets. Papa first hinted at what was to come in the spring of 77. That year, appropriately... And that I was seven. Papa said he normally waited till I was eight, but the kind of coincidence of age seven lining up with two more sevens? He was a big believer in omens, and that one was too good to pass up. Anyway, he told me that on Halloween night that year, I was going to come with him and take care of some business. Men's business. Now, I don't mind telling you, I was excited. And a little intimidated. Because you don't want to take part in men's business. Unless you're a man yourself. I wasn't sure I was ready for that. But since my birthday was in the spring and Halloween wasn't for many months, I eventually forgot about it. Until the night before when my mama and my papa got into a screaming match. Omens matter in my business, Charlene. Oh, woman's my ass. Henry Mills, if you think you're going to take my baby out on one of your nasty-ass little errands... You knew all about those errands when you married me, Charlene. I know there was something you and your daddy got up to, and my mama begged me not to go steady with your ass, because she knew it too, Henry. And I was so sweet on you, I was fool enough not to care. But he's too young. He said your daddy didn't do it till you was eight. It's the way it's got to be. We talked about this ever since you gave birth to the little... I stepped out of the room and the fight stopped. Figures. They never talked about this kind of stuff when they knew I was listening. I was a man now, according to Papa. I wanted Mama to know I was brave enough to handle whatever it was. It was a man's job to look after the women in his life. Now that I was a man... That made Mama being scared my problem, too. Right. Mama gave me a haunted look when she saw me. Go back to bed, baby. Your daddy and I are just having a discussion. The way she looked when she said it made me scared, but I didn't let that stop me. I heard you, I said, trying to sound like Rocky Balboa in a seven-year-old body. I heard you, Mama, and I ain't scared. I can handle it. See? Papa didn't miss a beat when he heard me. He ain't complaining, is he? He knows what needs to be done. Mama gave Papa a look that would have killed at 20 paces. And then she closed her eyes and clenched her fists. Damn you, Henry Mills, she whispered. Damn you to hell. Papa didn't react, even though I would have been scared to death if she looked at me like that. Hell's full enough without me, Charlene, he said wearily. I'm just trying to keep it that way. With that, he sloped off before Mama could yell at him anymore. And even though I had nightmares, something 
fierce that night and was stone tired in Halloween. I still knew I had to be strong and stick out whatever Papa had in store for me. Because I was a man, and men do what needs doing. Let's just say it was the first of many surprises I was in for that night when Papa told me he, not Mama, was going to take me trick-or-treat. It wasn't until later that I realized why, but seeing as I was as scared as I was, going to miss all the candy, doing whatever Papa wanted me to do, this was too much of a relief to question him. For the next few hours, I trundled around the neighborhood, getting candy from every door that would open. What was weird, though, was that Papa wouldn't walk me up to the door of all those houses. Sometimes he'd just leave me about 20 feet from the door and run off round the back. Again, I didn't understand this, but in the fullness of time, I understood more than I wanted to. However, eventually, and sooner than I liked, my trick-or-treating time had to end. Specifically, it had to end right when the sun started going down. At that point, Papa took my bag, which was honestly not nearly as full of candy as I'd hoped, and gave me a funny look. Now listen to me, Ryan, he said, kneeling down so he could look me in the eye. I handle tonight like a man. I'll take you to any damn supermarket you want and buy you enough candy to fill up that bag to Christmas. You gotta help me first, Ryan. You gotta start learning how to do something that, when I die, is gonna be your job. Got it? Yes, sir. Good. Then come back into the truck. I did as I was told, and as soon as I shut the door, Papa gunned the engine on the truck and took us far out in the woods. Into the woods. Deep into the woods. But he seemed to know where he was going, because once we was there, well, he pulled up sharp and got out to check some. I was about to follow him when the back seats, uh, one working door swung open, Papa deposited something that made me want to upchuck all the candy I'd already eaten. The carcasses of three dead squirrels. Papa saw the nausea on my face. He barked at me to cover my nose and got back in the truck and started driving again. He made four more stops just like that one. And at every one, he'd drop another pack of rotten dead animals in the back seat. However, eventually, he got done with this and Drove us back into town. But we didn't go home. No, instead, we stopped outside a house that I dimly recognized from the trick-or-treating earlier that night. I seemed to remember that it housed a sweet little old lady who had trouble opening the door when I knocked. But it handled me a full-size Snickers bought. When she did get the door open, I was confused. Was Papa taking me back to get more candy from her? Because if so, I wasn't complaining. Then Papa turned to me. Now you listen, Ryan. Would you stay in the car here? You're not old enough to see what I gotta do now, so stay here. Whatever you hear, even if something scary comes out of that house, you stay put. If everything goes well, I should be back in about 15 to 20 minutes. I wanted to argue, but not least of all because... I was still stuck next to about a dozen rotten animal carcasses. But I could see from the look in his eyes that Papa wasn't going to take any back-ass 
so I just nodded. Yes, sir. Papa gave me an absent smile and then shut the door behind him, locking the truck. Then he approached Snickers' lady's house. Of course, he didn't go straight up to the door, but doubled back round. Yeah, so it was out of my sight. I sat there for a while. Felt like hours. My nerves and the smell of dead animal flesh both making me feel sick. For a moment, I started to be really afraid that Papa wasn't going to come back from whatever he was doing, which, based on the look in his eyes, seemed like it was something dangerous. I was right. It was dangerous. But about his not coming back, at least it turned out to be wrong. Papa was as good as his word and appeared just barely over 15 minutes later, coming back round the house. But he was moving slower, and after a second, I saw why. He was pulling something behind me. Something that looked like a trash bag full of something cumbersome. And wet. So I realized when he got closer and shoved it into the truck bed with a nasty squelching noise. Then Papa got back in the truck and, without saying anything, started it up again. From there, we drove around town, stopping seemingly at random houses, individual houses. At which point, Papa would get out of the car, pull open the one working back seat door, and fish out one of the dead animals, which he'd then drop outside the front door of whatever house we were stopped outside. It wasn't until he exhausted his supply of these, except for one limp squirrel carcass, that he eventually started walking back to the truck bed and pulling stuff out of that trash bag he brought. It was too dark to make out what it was at first, but eventually he landed outside a house that had a porch light. I got a good look at what he was carrying. I wish I hadn't. However, you can probably guess that it wasn't something you could get from an animal, but it was part of a something dead. Oh, it sure was part of something dead. Anyway, he dropped it on that particular porch so casually. It was like he was delivering mail. We must have made two dozen stops like this, where Papa would fish around in his trash bag a horse, pull out something bloody and mangled and leave it on a porch. And eventually, when the bag finally was empty, he got in the car, turned back to me, Give me a cryptic but genuine smile. You done good, Ryan, he said. You done real good. Now let's go get you that candy now. I'll explain what we've been... Papa? There was a quaver in my voice. Did you do something bad? Papa went pale for a second, then sighed and climbed into the back seat with me. Yes, Ryan, I did, he said. You're too far young to understand this, what I did. While it was bad, it also stopped a lot worse from going on. Why? My eyes must have looked like dinner plates. What could have happened? Papa gave a grunt of resignation. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. 
but those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. How much you know about Halloween night, right? Besides the whole candy and costumes thing. Nothing, I said honestly. Well, Halloween night sometimes gets called All Hallowsy. And the reason it's called that is because tonight, all the souls of dead people are supposed to walk the earth and go visit their loved ones, who I guess are supposed to feel a bit better about their grief, knowing they can see dead relatives again every Halloween. Or at least that's the story. He rolled the window down and spat on the pavement. It's bull, Ryan. It's all bull. Truth is, the spirits of the dead are too damn too goddamn hungry to remember who they are. Now, fortunately, some enterprising marketing genius got a hold of this little story and figured he could sell candy with it. So most folks leave out a basket of candy on their porch, not realizing that that basket might be the only thing keeping the hungry dead at bay. But that's when he looked me in the eye and said the thing that the reason we're all sitting here they don't always feel like sweets. He didn't say anything after this. I knew better not to ask. Besides, even at seven, I could figure enough of what he meant and what that meant about what he'd been doing. Anyway, he did buy me all that candy, though I wasn't really in the mood to enjoy it. The other thing that happened that night that bears mentioning was that when we got home, Papa pulled that last squirrel carcass from the back seat and laid it on the front porch next to our own basket of candy. Then he turned to me and said one more thing, which I now absolutely considered the moment my childhood died. Your mama don't know the whole story, Ryan. As far as she knows, I'd just been carting you around leaving dead animals on people's porches all night. And that's all she will ever know, isn't it? I guarantee you, she finds out about the trash bag and whatever you might have seen me taken out of it, you'll never see her ass again. You don't want that, do you, Ryan? I shook my head with tears in my eyes, and Papa smiled. Good. And give me your word as a man that you won't say nothing about that, Ryan. Your word as a man. If I'd been a little older, I might have realized how fanciful it was to think that Mama would just leave me with a man capable of what Papa had done that night. But I'd seen how mad she looked the previous night, and I was still too scared to think straight. So I gave him my word, and I kept it. Right up until Mama died, I kept it. Though by then, that lie was to protect me as much as Papa. Because that wasn't the end of it. Oh, no, sir, not at all. It was just the start of what 
became a yearly ritual with Papa. Every year, my involvement in the knight's errands deepened. At first, we'd made the initial circuit of the traps Papa laid every year, the night before Halloween. He'd tell me to come out and fish out one of the animals, and two. And over time, he'd have me empty the whole trap. I mean, two traps. Then all the traps. Finally, when I was 14, I didn't even flinch at the thought of touching dead animals, he initiated me into the other part of his errands, the real bad part. Now, because I was too old to trick or treat by then, we had to come up with a different cover story for what I now realized was Papa scouting all the houses in town to find out which ones either left their doors unlocked or had locks that were easy to pick. Papa always used to say we had to take the people with the least life left and with the weakest defenses because that way it wasn't like we were picking and choosing our targets. More like we were a natural disaster that wiped out whatever unlucky son of a bitch wasn't prepared. So it wasn't really our fault. Anyway, eventually... Papa hit on a really ingenious ploy to hide what we were doing. He took a shift as a part of the neighborhood watch, which had really only formed because every Halloween someone would unaccountably disappear. So what you like about Papa, but he sure had a hell of a sense of humor to come up with that. Anyway, that year it turned out that of most of our promising prospects, um, there was an old-timer named Jerry Knowles. He lived on the outskirts of town, so Papa thought any noise he might make wouldn't be much of a problem. Since it was my first year, you see, he figured noise was probably going to be unavoidable. Now, I, I ain't going to insult your intelligence by pretending that we did that night. What we did came as a complete surprise. I didn't know Einstein, but I wasn't so stupid that I couldn't work out what Papa had been doing. Even so, knowing and doing were clean different. I was always shivering by the time Papa told me to pick the lock on old Jerry Knowles' back porch, and not because of the cold. I couldn't hold the tools long enough, still enough, to make the lock break. When Papa saw that, he shoved me aside roughly and did it himself, before turning to me with a hard expression and thrusting something heavy and metallic into my hands. I looked down and saw it was an old-fashioned snub-nosed revolver with a silencer attached. Wanted to spare you this, Ryan. Papa growled. If you can't pick the block, I guess you're going to have to do the only other useful thing there is. Don't worry, I'll get him nice and unconscious so you can't miss. Papa, I don't think I can. You can and you will, Ryan. I didn't raise no sissy. Can't afford to have to. No room for argument in his tone. Now come on before things get hard. We found Jerry Newells in his sitting room, sleeping in a recliner with the TV showing static and an empty bottle of whiskey in his lap. Probably for the best. Honestly. Made it even harder for the poor old bastard to hear us. Or to resist. Though he still tried. Oh God, he still tried. Now, you already know I killed him. Might surprise you to hear that I can still remember what happened in such a detail. But murder, 
Not that you'd know. It's like sex in a lot of ways, most predominantly in that you never forget your first. So here's what happened to Jerry Knowles. Papa crept up behind him and grabbed him by the throat, both hands, and started squeezing. Even with the booze in his system, Jerry woke up at that, and sure enough, he started kicking. Kicking and clawing at Papa and making these weird little hacking noises like it was a goddamn cat trying to spit up a hairball. I couldn't see his face while Dad did it. I could still hear the shock and terror he must have been feeling in those last few minutes. Then he went limp, like he'd just fallen back asleep. That's when Papa stepped back around the chair, grabbed me by the shoulders, and shoved me in front of poor Jerry Knowles. His chest was still rising and falling slightly, even though his throat kept on making this nasty whistling noise every time air came in and out. Before I knew what was happening, Papa had seized the hand I was holding the gun in and pressed the muzzle to old Jerry Knowles' wrinkled forehead. Now, Ryan, he panted, still getting his breath after strangling the poor old bastard. One between the eyes, one in the heart, nice and clean like. I'll keep hold of the gun so your hands can't shake. Do it. But I couldn't. I just kept staring at Jerry, thinking thinking about all the people who were going to lose him when I pulled that trigger. Do it, Papa repeated, harsher this time. We ain't got much time before he wakes up and it gets messier. Still, I couldn't pull the trigger. Papa sighed and then with his other hand he grabbed my fist and squeezed. The gun went off and Jerry slumped, the whistling of his breath stopping. Papa pulled my hand roughly down to his heart and this time I didn't need his help. The deed was already done. I fired that second bullet and felt my stomach boil. Started to retch, but Papa cuffed me across the face before I could do it, which shocked me enough to make me stop. You stupid, he barked. What do you think's going to happen when the cops investigate and find your vomit on Jerry Knowles' floor? Outside, Ryan. If you've got up, Chuck, do it outside. In the back. So I did. I walked out of that house through the same door we used to get in, and I spilled everything I'd eaten that day out onto the dirt. When I'd finished, I saw Papa coming out of the house, dragging Jerry's body behind him. He gave me a disappointed look and jerked his head at the fence. We're in the car, Ryan. Killing a man's going to make you lose your lunch. Then it's just as well you don't see what comes next. I swallowed. What? I gotta cut him up, Ryan. This is just like one of my buddies in Nam told me. He came from Inchenstock, and he said his people believed when you kill something valuable, you gotta use every part. Well, that's what we're gonna do, Ryan. That's what we're gonna do. I went back to the truck, and sure enough, about ten minutes later, he came back to the car, dragging one of his trash bags full of wet things. Only he wasn't the one who emptied it made me take every single one of Jerry Knowles' bits and stick them on porches myself. By the time it was over, I was too numb and too empty to do anything but stares. we drove back home. And so what you like about Papa, but hard as he was, he was still a father, and he noticed how I looked. He got this queer, tender look in his face and then reached over and squeezed my shoulder. 
gets easier, Ryan, he said. I know you're probably mad as a wet cat at me right now for making you do that, but I promise. It gets easier, and it has to be done. But I didn't believe him, which was the worst mistake I ever made. By the time I had to go back to school, I'll admit, I was still a mess, but not so much of one that I couldn't put on a brave face around everyone. The only place I really let my feelings out was on the football field. The truth is, and that was probably what got me on the varsity squad, even though I was still a freshman. God, I wish it hadn't, because if it weren't for that, I probably never would have started dating Lola Barnes. Ah, Lola. If I'm sorry for anything connected with what I've done, it's her. She was the prettiest little thing in my grade. Could have been a movie star or a beauty queen, probably, after a few more years. She was certainly the best dancer on a cheer squad, at least for her age. And you wouldn't know it, the fact that I was so fierce that I could knock down boys twice my size on other school offensive lines impressed her. We started going steady that winter. After the first three months, I thought I was going to marry her. After we took each other's virginity, ironically... Same damn flatbed where Dad laid out corpses every year. I was sure I was going to marry her. She was the only pure thing in my life. The only innocent thing. The only good thing. But nothing good lasts, which is why when I showed up at Lola's house to take her to the movies that next spring, only to find her crying on the front porch, should have guessed where things were going to go. She looked up at me with this look in her eyes like a wounded deer and told me both her folks had died. A car crash, she said, caused by some drunk. He was gone, too, which I guess was some kind of justice. That wasn't the important thing. The important thing was that now the only person she had left to take care of her in the house was her papa, Kit. Now... I didn't pay much mind to that when she first told me, because from where I was sitting, the only thing that mattered about it was that she wouldn't have to leave town. Besides, I knew old Kit Barnes, and I liked him. I thought together the two of us could maybe help poor Lola recover, that maybe we could put her back together again. Maybe not good as new, maybe, but good enough for her to be happy again, to smile and laugh again, and one day be my wife. That's what I thought, big dumb fool that I was. That is, until Halloween rolled around and Kit forgot to lock his door. When I saw that and realized what it might mean, I silently prayed that someone else in town would be equally careless. But they weren't, which meant that this year, Papa was going to kill Kit Barnes, still the only other person Lola had in her life. That is, unless I stopped you. Papa, I said as we drove out to the first trap, I need to talk to you about something. He grunted. What is it, Ryan? Well, you know I'm sweet on Lola Barnes, don't you? What about it? Well, see, she just lost her folks this year. It's her papa who left his door unlocked. and Papa jerked the car to a stop and gave me a long look. And what? I just thought, maybe we don't have to take him. 
and do what instead? I should have paid more mind to the danger in Papa's voice, but I went on like a fool. Well, maybe we just, I don't know, grab a box of chicken legs, Sam Club, and leave those out instead? Chicken legs? Lost your wits, Ryan. The things we use gotta be fresh dead, you know that? Well, then maybe, I don't know, maybe we find someone else? Papa's eyes narrowed as he looked down at me. I see. What you're really saying is maybe this time we could pick and choose. Well, yeah. I could hear Papa's teeth grinding as he glared at me. Then he reached over and shoved the passenger side door open. Get out. What? Get out. In fact, you know what? I think I missed a lesson. Take the night off. Take the night off and go spend it with your girlfriend. I don't, Papa. I can still go spend the night with your girlfriend. His voice sounded like a razor being sharpened. I insist. Don't try to come home till it's light. Go and sit out of the house all night if you have to, since you're so bent on protecting her and her grandpappy. Go on, get. Papa, get! I got out of the truck and he peeled off, spraying dirt in my face. Suddenly, for no reason I could understand, I felt deadly nervous. But I knew that trying to catch up or apologize would just get me in the same pickle I'd been in before. Having to kill my girlfriend's last remaining family member, and somehow still live with myself afterwards. So instead of going after Papa, I did as he said. We're back to Lola's house, and even though it was late, there was still light in the window. So I picked up Pebble and threw it just hard enough to get her attention. A second later, I saw her face at the window, and in a few moments, she crept out of the house wearing a little red devil costume that made every part of me stand at attention. However, before she could come round the house to meet me, something else just out of my field of view distracted her. Her eyes went wide, and a delighted, if uncomprehending, smile came over her face. Mom, she breathed. Dad? Immediately, I felt something foul pull my stomach as I remembered what Papa had said about the spirits of the dead coming back on All Hallows Eve. Particularly the part about how they were too hungry for any kind of happy reunion to result from their appearance. Without even thinking, I sprinted for Lola like she was a goddamn quarterback about to make a game-ending play. But as I moved, I saw what she was looking at and halted ever so slightly at the horror of it when it struck home. Her mom and dad were indeed in the street. However, they didn't look quite like themselves. For one thing, while they looked mostly solid, there was just enough transparency to their bodies that I could almost make out the street behind them. For another, they weren't... Well, the only way to put it is that they weren't in color. Everything about them was a shade of gray, almost as if watching people who'd been filmed in black and white walking around in a full-color world. That's before I saw how they moved. 
I know what you're probably expecting me to say. They, they shambled like zombies or something. But it wasn't like that. If it was, the threat wouldn't have been obvious. It was more like... Again, I can only use a film as a reference. But it was like they walked normally, except every few seconds there'd be a frame missing. So they just jerk into a new position. So subtle, you almost wanted to think your eyes were playing tricks on you when you saw it, but I knew better. And knowing better, I also knew what needed to be done. Lola, I said over my shoulder, Get on in the house now, you hear? Get on in the house and don't come out no matter what happens. But I didn't hear no footsteps. That's my mom and dad, Ryan, she said. Why are you trying to keep me from my mom and dad when y'all know I miss them so much? Her mom and dad were less than ten feet away from me by this point, and I raised my voice, hoping she'd get the picture. Ain't your mom and dad no more, Lola. They ain't gonna love you. More like they'll eat you. Five feet away now. Get out of the house. I ain't saying it again. Something in the way I said it must have clued Lola and that something was really wrong. As I heard her take a few hesitant steps backwards toward the house. I backed up as well, trying to keep as much safe distance between me and the dead things that were advancing on us. I'll get gone now, I said. This house is protected. Dead flesh, other places y'all can eat. Go on. Lola's mom craned her head sideways and considered me for a second, hearing this. I guess she and the dad must have understood what I said. Then they disappeared in that taunt for just a second. Maybe that meant they got the message. Now they did, but not in the way I was hoping. Not at all. When I heard Lola scream from behind me, I prayed at first that she might be crying at them disappearing on her again. I hoped and prayed as I turned around that that was all it was. Screams of grief, what I saw, don't come that high-pitched, and they definitely don't end in choked gurgles. Even so, what I saw when I turned is going to live behind my eyes till they close forever. Lola's mom and dad popped into existence right next to her, and her dad had a hold of her by the throat. Then her mom picked up her legs, and they were holding her horizontal right between them. Then, both their jaws unhinged, revealing nothing but hungry, sucking blackness underneath. The sight should have frozen me to the spot, but fool that I was, I tried running toward them hoping I could tackle her away. And in a spectacular way, I suppose I did. But not before those black voids in their mouth sucked everything off her bones, so that when I finally grabbed Lola, my Lola, and pulled her away, it was only a skeleton I was holding. And I kept on holding until dawn came. I guess you might as well know that whatever took Lola that night also went into the house and took her grandpa when they were done. That's the only conclusion I can draw, since there was nothing left of either of them, but they're skeletons. To tell you the truth, I kind of wish they'd taken me too after that. 
was already thinking about cutting out the middleman and killing myself when I got home that day. Hell, maybe I would have. If not for what happened, when I got home and found Papa sitting there in the living room, cleaning his gun and whistling. When the door shut, he looked up at me with this queer, cold look in his eye. Waiting on you, boy, he said. How was y'all's Halloween? Lola, okay? My hands balled into fists. No, I said. No, Shane, she's dead. And I'm betting you knew that already. He nodded that queer cold look, getting stronger. I took a step toward him, but he raised his gun and cocked it. Now, Ryan, don't you go doing something we'll both regret, he growled. I don't want to take out one of your legs, but I will if you raise a hand to me. Why? I spat, trying to force all the pent-up aggression in my body into my voice. Why'd you do that, Papa? Why'd you let me go and watch her die? Why? Papa gave an insolent shrug and his lips curled with disgust. I don't know what you're all so upset about, he said with icy unconcern. You wanted to pick and choose, didn't you, Ryan? Well, you done picked. You done chose. He stood up and walked toward the stairs, keeping his gun trained on me. I'm going upstairs to have a little rest, Ryan, he said. If you start thinking you want to do something about all this, just know. I'm a real light sleeper. And with that, he vanished up the stairs. I realize now what lesson the old bastard was trying to impart to me. If you go picking and choosing who dies, sooner or later, death's going to pick for you. But right then, all I could think was... Papa wanted to get so far up his ass about whatever code he used to justify what he'd had to do, that I was going to break that code every chance I got. And I did get a chance eventually. Not right then, not even for a couple of months. But eventually, I think Papa must have convinced himself that I'd moved on. Or maybe he just needed my help bad enough that he asked me to come out that next Halloween. And... And he handed me the gun to kill whatever poor old biddy we were supposed to get rid of that year. I did pick and choose who died. I put one in his head and one in his black heart, just like he taught me. What I didn't know at the time was I should have waited just a little longer. Because there was one lesson that Papa hadn't taught me yet. One that I found out very quickly I needed. See, Papa, he was a telemortician, so if someone died, he already knew if they had grieving family left over to eat, which is how he knew which houses to drop his little offering at the first place. But what he didn't tell me was how he picked up which ones had visitors who wanted human remains and which one had visitors who wanted dead animals. Which is why, as soon as I started doing his duty, folks started waking up find their neighbors turned into skeletons with severed hands and lungs and God knows what else of complete strangers outside the doors. Papa had a system. If I'd been a little less hot under the collar, I'd have known I needed to learn to do the job effectively. That's why, sooner or later, I realized I had to run from town to town, changing my name each time just to avoid suspicion. <laughs> 
the chorus of 36 years, keeping people safe from the hungry dead, went from being a mortician to an elder care worker to a bartender, and finally to being a bouncer at the cute kitty club. And one thing I've done effectively, far better in fact than Papa did, I've picked and chose. That's why eventually I started working in dead-end jobs, where folks who sell drugs or drink to excess or pinboat women for cash run around. Because those folks have thrown their lives away. So why not just take those lives to keep everyone else safe? Hey, sorry for any of it. Truth be told, boys, I think of myself as almost one of you, except you got the luxury of being able to lock up folks that kill. While I know most of y'all are going to say I'm crazy and Probably clap like trained seals when I get sent to the electric chair. I figure maybe one or two of you are going to listen to what I'm saying. Maybe one or two of you lost someone inexplicably on Halloween. Or know someone else who does. And will realize what needs doing, especially in a city this big. Which, let's be honest, one man can't protect alone. So, if that's you... All I ask is that you remember what my papa said and what I had to learn over the dead bodies of those I loved. The dead do come back on Halloween, and when they do, they're hungry. Maybe candy might work nine times out of ten, but just remember now, they don't always feel like sweets. Sometimes they want something... A little more savory. I hope you enjoyed They Don't Always Feel Like Sweets by Jasper DeWitt as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash jasper dash dewitt that's simply scary podcast.com slash j-a-s-p-e-r dash d-e-w-i-t-t you may be aware of his prior work he's no stranger to the horror community but if you're not be sure to check out the patient and see what all the fuss is about thanks again for your support of this program and tonight's featured author. Before we continue, I also wanted to announce that we're having a special contest for you listeners. If you've been wondering if you've got what it takes to have your work read on scary stories told in the dark, now's your chance. We're accepting submissions of work roughly three to 4,000 words in length, maximum 5250, the perspective is fine, first, second, third, or even the elusive fourth person, if you can find it. But please be aware that if you use first person, make sure the character fits my dulcet tones. I don't do uh, eight-year-old kids too well. It seems my voice is a little too deep. We're looking for anything spooky, scary, and that makes you shiver. But if you've listened for some time, you may notice that we try to keep language, the sensual stuff, and gore to a reasonable standard. If you think that sounds like your opportunity, please send in your stories to writingcontest 
at simplyscarypodcast.com by November 12th, and we'll announce the winners to appear on an upcoming episode. Thank you for your interest, and we look forward to seeing what you have in store. Oh, dear. Well, you try to do nice things for people, and what happens? They arrest you for murder and put everyone at risk for being devoured. Guess some people just never learn their lesson. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. But the trap is not the only thing on the shelf. We have another item. A nice, normal-looking bowl meant for candy, it seems. It was sent to me by one Brian Martinez. Seems there's a very interesting tale about this candy bowl and where it came from. I know it looks a little plain for Halloween candy, but did you know some people not only don't get in on the act, they actively work against celebrating. It's true. But as we all know, sometimes not joining in on the fun can have consequences. And those consequences aren't always easy to clean up. Without further ado, I present to you... Treats. The annual office Halloween party was in full effect. The large open space office was plastered wall-to-wall with paper bats and plastic pumpkins, and every surface covered in enough candy bowls to give a football team diabetes. Dressed in their vampire capes and witches' hats, the workers and managers laughed and flirted with chocolate fingers and icing-stained teeth. In other words, Richard was in hell. He could barely stand his co-workers on a normal day 
but when he was forced to stay after hours and pretend to have fun with him, he felt downright murderous. He couldn't even tell himself he was getting paid to deal with those idiots. Social gatherings were unpaid. Christy, from accounting, dressed as a sexy yet work-appropriate cat, sauntered over to Richard with a red cup of what looked like to be soda. She must have seen the look on his face, the one he'd been so carefully trying to hide because she gave him a friendly smile that made her whiskers perk up. What's the matter, Rich? Couldn't find a costume in time? She took a sip of her suspiciously watery Coke and eyed him up and down. Richard scoffed at the notion. Imagine him, a full-grown man, rushing around the stores to pick out some overpriced outfit that smelled like carcinogens and open flames. I don't wear masks, he replied succinctly, even though he'd spent his entire day masking. Her painted cat nose wrinkled up at him. You don't like Halloween? He considered keeping up the lie, pretending he was having a good time, but he couldn't maintain appearances any longer. What's to like? Cheap costumes, bad makeup, teenagers prowling the streets to do property damage, not to mention the kids knocking on my door asking for free stuff. Damn, Rich, Christy said, slapping him on his arm. I didn't realize you were such a curmudgeon. I'm fine. It's everyone else who's being childish. Anyway, the whole thing was invented by the candy companies to sell more chocolate. She giggled. Isn't Halloween like a thousand years old? It was called Sawwin or something. Okay, they didn't invent it. They just ruined it. Now I'm supposed to spend my hard-earned money on crap just because everyone says to. Christy glanced around the room. There's so much candy here, you could take some home to put out and no one would even notice. He shook his head. Yeah, that's not the point. Man, what is the point exactly? Before he could answer, some movement across the office caught his eye. Jeff, from receiving, was ducking out early, probably because his wife had just given birth a few weeks earlier. Richard didn't have a new kid to use as an excuse. Thank God. But that didn't mean he planned to stick around and waste his entire night just because he was smart enough to be single. Now that he could no longer be criticized as being the first to leave, it was time to make his escape. I might need a ride home, Christy suddenly said, either to herself or him, he wasn't sure. Either way, he ignored it as another waste of time. Like he needed Christy, of all people, hitting on him and then filing harassment charges when he turned her down. Well, I'm heading out, he told her, already walking away. You be careful out there. Weirdos come out of the woodwork tonight. She said something about taking candy, but he didn't hear it. He was already grabbing his jacket and bag and heading toward the exit, while doing his best not to be spotted by the boss. With the long days of summer in the past, the sun had already gone down. The parking lot was dark, lit every 20 feet by evenly spaced streetlights that threw pools of yellow onto the blacktop. Richard held his coat closed against the wind and speedwalked to his car, feeling the chill of the damp autumn air in his bones. For a moment, he almost wished he'd brought a companion home for warmth, even Christy. 
The street beyond the parking lot was almost completely unlit, save for the occasional blink of a security camera, their electronic eyes scanning for intruders. Where once the company office had been located in the center of the city, surrounded by the sound and movement of people, in the last few years they'd moved their business to the decidedly more industrial outskirts. It was a desolate, lonely place populated mostly by factories and trucks, cheaper and with less taxes, but not nearly as easy on the eyes. Richard told himself he liked it better that way, that it was quieter and less distracting. But the truth was he missed the old location. The streets were full of beautiful women and nice restaurants to take him to. The streets here unnerved him at night. They were cold and dark, like staring into black paint. Stare long enough and he began seeing faces and squirrels. Even now, his straining eyes picked out shapes in the empty spaces, four or five phantom spots drifting about in his vision. He scolded himself for allowing his mind to wander, scaring himself like a child. Then he got in his car and drove off. It was a painfully long commute in bumper-to-bumper traffic, and Richard was exhausted. So much so, in fact, that he barely noticed the trick-or-treaters running up and down a street, clutching their candy bags and squealing like little pigs. Just as he was turning onto his block, something darted out in front of his car. Richard slammed on the brakes, tires screeched on the pavement as the car came to a hard stop, sending his work bag to the floor and the contents scattering. He picked his head up. A mummy, wide-eyed and open-mouthed, stared back at him through the windshield. Richard's heart pounded as he realized he'd nearly hit one of the trick-or-treaters with his car. He cursed and honked at the lanky mummy running to catch up with his friends, bandages flapping behind. A kid could have ruined Richard's night, or worse, his career, simply because he was too dumb to look both ways before crossing the street. Sure, pedestrians had the right of way, but they were also a lot softer and crunchier than cars. Too old to be dressing up anyway, Richard mumbled as he parked and got out of his car. At least he'd been lucky enough to find a spot right in front of his building. But as he leaned in to retrieve his bag, scooping the spilled items back inside, he got the feeling someone was standing behind him, burning in his ears like he was being watched. A group of small kids had formed a semicircle around him, five in all. They were holding bags and wearing identical costumes. Sheets covered their heads and bodies. Torn shrouds had ended below the knees in ragged strips. With eyes peering up at Richard through holes in the sheets, they all said, Trick or treat! in a practice chorus of uniform voices. Something about them bothered Richard, tickled his brain like a dull alarm heard just beyond the wall. Richard shooed them away, telling them to get away from him, but they didn't move. They simply said again in unison, Trick or treat! holding out their bags. I don't have anything, he said as if he needed to explain himself. Still, they didn't leave. They just stared back at him until he walked off, not moving an inch as he made his way up the stairs and inside the apartment building, shutting the door behind him and making sure it was locked. He checked to see if they were still there, watching him from beside his car, but they were gone. No trace of any of the five. Rats! He whispered under his breath, fixing the bag on his shoulder, 
Heading up the staircase, it always smelled of damp carpet. Mr. Thomas, Richard's neighbor across the hallway, was bent over, putting out a bowl of candy in front of his door. He always did for the kids in the building, whoever else managed to get through the front door. He was an older guy, bald like a baby with a wife who rarely went out anymore. Mr. Thomas spotted Richard coming down the hall and gave him a friendly nod. Don't forget, he said, gesturing to the bowl. I don't participate, Richard said succinctly. Mr. Thomas's white eyebrows shot up in his face like two surprised caterpillars. You're not worried about upsetting the kids? Richard scoffed. Why, so they don't egg my door? I'm not getting the shakedown. They can go to the store like the rest of us. Richard fished his keys out and unlocked his door. Ah, it's all in good fun, Mr. Thomas said with a shrug, straightening up with a groan. Yeah, not for me, Richard replied, slipping inside his apartment and ending the conversation. The apartment was empty, quiet the way he liked it. As he stood there under the single light of his small foyer, Richard considered Mr. Thomas's words. He had to admit the man had a point. If kids came knocking for candy and found he didn't have any, that could set them up for disappointment. He pictured the sad looks on their faces looking up at him. While it would probably make for a funny image, he would also grow stale very quickly, especially the fifth or sixth or seventh time. It interrupted his night. He was forced to consider his options. In the end, he grabbed a few things from the kitchen and headed out into the hallway to do some quick work. Hands on his hips, he admired his handiwork. A sign that read, no candy, taped to his door. All in good fun. He started and went back inside. Later, after Richard had changed from his work clothes into his usual T-shirt and sweatpants, he was just finally settling into his chair with a drink when there was a quick knock at his door. Apparently the sign hadn't worked the way he'd hoped. Probably, he realized, because some kids were too dumb to know how to read. He set his drink down and stomped to the door, ready to give whoever it was a piece of his mind. When he opened the door, he was even more annoyed to discover the same five kids from earlier standing on his doorstep, still covered up in sheets, still holding out bags like beggars. Again in unison, they said, trick or treat in a way that grated on Richard's last nerve. It was almost like they were taunting him rather than making a request. Told you I don't have anything, he said, through gritted teeth. They looked up at him through their eye slits, and as if he hadn't just said anything, once again said in harmony, trick or treat. Under the harsh cast of the hallway light, Richard noticed how dirty their costumes were. The sheets they wore were downright filthy. If their mothers had ever washed them, it must have been before the kids rolled around on the ground, and maybe even jumped into a dumpster for good measure. I don't think you heard me, he raised his voice. Get out of here before I kick you out. Trick or treat, the kids repeated, no louder, no quieter than before, and yet he sensed a rising urgency in their tone took a step out into the hallway to grab one of the little jerks by their dirty sheet and shake some fear into him. But he stopped himself. He had to be careful with behavior like that these days. One shaky cell phone video was all it took to take down a guy like him. Not like when he was younger and kids could actually be 
punished the way they deserved. It wouldn't give anyone the satisfaction of his undoing, especially not for something as pointless as Halloween. Instead, he stepped back inside, slammed the door in their sheet-covered faces. Returning to his drink, he mumbled unto how kids lacked respect, that no one reads signs anymore. Then he turned the TV on and located the news. Forty minutes. That's how long he got to watch TV before he was interrupted again. Not even an hour of well-earned peace. He'd only gotten halfway through sports and a third of the way through his drink when he found his attention drifting away from the screen. It was a sound that did it, like someone tapping on his window. Considering he lived on the third floor, it seemed unlikely that tapping was the cause of the sound, especially since it wasn't coming from the fire escape window. He tried to ignore the noise and focus on the football highlights, but again, he heard it. And again... The third time in a row, he began to realize what he was hearing. Tiny rocks hitting the glass. A fire lit in his blood. Richard jumped up from his seat and ran to the window to catch him in the act. Sure enough, down the street, he caught a glimpse of a tiny white sheet wisping away and out of sight. Those little bastards, he said, fumbling to put on his shoes. He took the musty stairs down two and three at a time, bursting out the front door of the building, hoping to catch one of the costume kids before they got away. There were other kids out, as well as their parents, but he didn't spot any dirty sheets among them. They were gone. If I see you again, I'm calling the cops, Richard announced to the night. A few of the parents gave him odd looks, but otherwise the comment went unanswered. It was getting colder and he wasn't wearing a coat. He retreated back inside, looking left and right all the way. Back in his apartment, though, something wasn't right. The light was on in the kitchen, even though he was 100% sure it hadn't been when he left. Worse, his largest bowl was sitting out on the counter, placed almost intentionally close to the edge. It looked as if the slightest nudge would send it falling off the counter, crashing down to the floor. He hadn't used the bowl in months, let alone touched it that night. He walked to it in a daze, not quite understanding. He picked it up, held it, noticed how cold it was. He put the bowl in the cabinet back where it belonged, and he realized what bothered him most about it, what perhaps he was supposed to realize. It was the perfect size for candy. Someone had been in his apartment, not just someone, one of those little brats had lured him out so the rest could walk right in and go through his cabinets. It was the trick-or-treaters, the children, and the sheets. There was no other explanation. Richard opened the foyer closet and grabbed the baseball bat he'd kept there for emergency use, gripping it tightly next to his head as he made his way through the apartment. If any one of them was still there, he was going to break their legs. Simple as that. He'd lie to the police and tell them, he didn't know they were kids, that it was dark, they were wearing masks. It would be well within his rights to do so. First, he went to the bedroom, checking the closet and under the bed. If he was a kid, he figured that was where he died, but he found nothing. Then he checked the bathroom and the shower under the sink, then back out into the kitchen and living room. He even checked under the couch, where no one could reasonably fit. 
but he imagined a sneaky kid with enough effort could at least shove himself under halfway. Twice he went through the apartment until he was sure he was alone. They'd been there, he knew it, but they were long gone now. He waited for more signs of them, almost praying for more interruptions so he could deal with them properly. But all remained quiet for an hour, then two, until he accepted that they'd moved on to terrorize some other poor sap. He returned to his drink, then another. He kept his baseball bat close by. Later that night, long after Richard had fallen asleep in bed under the heaviness of drink, he awoke from a deep sleep. His head was fuzzy. More than fuzzy, it felt like he was drowning in syrup. His arms wouldn't move, and he could barely feel his legs and feet. When his eyes finally blinked open, he didn't believe what they were seeing. Five children in sheets surrounded his bed, arranged in a star, two at each side, one at the foot. Small eyes stared at Richard through the eye slits. Richard tried to jump up and grab the closest kid, giving him the beating of his life, but he couldn't move. His body, nicking it except for the underwear he slept in, was pinned to the bed by an unseen force. There were no ropes holding him, no chains, yet no matter how much he struggled, he could only watch in horror as the children removed their sheets to reveal the death underneath. Rotten, sunken faces stared at him coldly, the skin shriveled and gray. Bony arms held bags out to him as their broken lips once again uttered a chorus of trick-or-treat, trick-or-treat, chanting it again and again. Trick-or-treat, trick-or-treat. This was no simple phrase they'd been repeating all night, he realized with mounting terror. It was a choice. The way the phrase used to mean before it was repeated so much it nearly lost all meaning. They were telling him to decide. No, not just telling him, demanding it. Choose one. Trick or treat. Seeing as he now did, their true form, their gruesome power revealed, Richard shuddered to think what they would consider tricks. Still, he couldn't bring himself to say the word admit his fear and acknowledge their control over him. To do that seemed like an admission far beyond the here and now, but to everything he'd ever denied, everything that had ever scared him. Trick or treat! Trick or treat! They droned over and over. And though their tone remained the same, the words sank deeper and deeper into Richard's skull until they were like rusty nails being hammered into it. His mind felt as if it would buckle and give his body helpless to do anything about it. He could stand it no longer. He drew up his strength and willed his lips to move, forced the word up from his throat and out of his mouth so they could hear it, so they could do what they came to do and leave him alone. Treat. He choked with great effort the moment they left his body. His body relaxed. It felt like he'd given himself up to them, warts and all. Like he'd admitted he was only a child himself, small and afraid, with no powers over the world or anything in it. Tears stung the corners of his eyes as he looked at them for acceptance of his choice. He didn't keep candy in the apartment, no, but there were some things in the pantry that were sweet, enough to fill up their bags and be on their way. To his horror, the children laughed. They laughed at him and at his choice. It was a sound like no one should hear. 
like the grave itself coughing up its corpse and enjoying the taste. Tingling sweat broke out all over his skin and warmth ran between his legs. The deathly children gathered close. Richard looked down at himself lying in bed and watched as they tore at him with their filthy skeletal fingers. Watched helplessly as the children opened his belly up, reached inside, and took their treats. I hope you enjoyed Treats by Brian Martinez, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him at simplyscarypodcast.com slash brian-martinez. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash b-r-i-a-n-m-a-r-t-i-n-e-z. Look for more of them in the season ahead. And be sure to not only see his many works on creepypastas.com, but also at his website at bloodstreamcity.com. And I hope you enjoyed the beginning of our season 14. We, that is myself, the Sydney Scary Podcast crew, and our host of talented authors, hope you enjoyed yourself immensely. Season 14 is off and running, and be sure to check in each week for more new tales from authors both beloved and up and coming. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference, and it would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs or become a patron for as little as $5 a month Get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or X, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky. And get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today 
to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories, performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. 
Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.